When you start a new job, it can take a few days to settle in. But what if you had all the tools you needed to work and be productive on day one? That's the goal of the Ready on Day One effort. Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. And on today's podcast, you're gonna meet a group who found a way to get real, get better, and improve the onboarding process at NavAir. Please welcome to the show, Joe Corvia, Deputy Director for the Digital Group, Randy Allen, Senior Staff Advisor for NOC AD, and Lori Delaney, Innovation and Culture Team Lead at the NavAir Digital Department. Thank you all for joining us. So Randy, tell me about the Ready on Day One effort. What was the problem you're trying to solve and what prompted the team to focus on this issue or problem? So the Ready for Day One effort started out of a lot of conversations at a variety of different leadership levels. And one of the things that really kind of brought it to bear one time was sitting in one of the leadership team meetings, me particularly at NOC AD, sitting there listening to our leadership talking about how long it's taking folks to get on board, how long it's taking some of their military representatives, some of their civilian employees, some of their CSS employees, and just basically we need to do better. The issue had been that we'd had a lot of efforts involved at pieces of it over time, and but we never really had taken a look at it end to end, never really taken a look at it to see what was really happening overall. And so really, we just kind of got a bunch of folks together to start getting it together and start looking at, well, what's the data telling us and what are we seeing and what have we tried to do before and where are we at now? What do we need to really go after? So that's kind of really how I got and started getting involved in it. And then Scott Holden serendipitously at NAVAIR was hearing a lot of the same thing at the NAVAIR CLT, Command Leadership Team meetings. We had NOC AD kind of starting it. We had NAVAIR kind of starting it. Had a few other that the command starting it. And it just kind of, we were kind of hitting kind of a critical mass at that point to really make things start to happen. So once you identified the issue and the outcomes that you were driving toward, how did you really approach the problem? What was the end goal? So the first kickoff meeting, as far as how we started approaching it, meeting was just really to kind of baseline ourselves on where are we at? What information did we know? What information did we have? What have we tried before? Had a rather uh, raucous uh, initial meeting where I got to listen to everybody telling us about what we knew and where they thought things were wrong or where they thought different things were wrong. But it gave me enough information to start to go figure out who I need to sit down with, who we needed to start to get together with to start getting information so we could start to see, all right, well, where were we at with regards to SARNs? Where were we at with regards to CACs? Where were we at with regards to NMCI accounts? That helped us get a little bit of knowledge about where we were at, where some of the major fundamental flaws were. Where we were really trying to get to was, honestly, was trying to get down to day one. We wanted to see the ability to say that you can come on board, that you could get your CAT card that day, you could go pick up your computer that day, that you'd have your accounts assigned to you, both your NMCI accounts and your flank speed accounts, ideally your ERP accounts, and then any other things that we would need to have to, so that you were literally, no kidding, a ready-up unit to go launch on day one. So when I came into this process, I was brought in because I was leading the flank speed effort and the days to get a flank speed account was probably on average about 40, but it ebbed and flowed. And so that was a real issue in getting people what they needed on day one. And so we all worked together in trying to understand the process as a whole, both at NOC AD and across all of the sites, trying to understand where the different sites might be doing things differently and what we could all learn from each other in order to improve all of our processes. 
I know we did a lot of work with NOC-AD to try to figure out what we were seeing on the ground locally. Scott and Lori and others did a lot of work to try to benchmark across the other organizations so we could see what were the best practices we were seeing at the different sites, what were the best practices we were seeing at, for example, China Lake or at Point Magoo or the FRCs. So all that was really helpful and useful in terms of what we were seeing. Who was doing it best was one of the ways to try to help see what we were doing. So it sounds like there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes to get somebody ready on day one. How did you decide who needed to be involved in this project and how did you get buy-in from those stakeholders? So we were pretty much knew who the some of the initial cast of characters needed to be. You know when you're trying to onboard somebody, you know you need to have some basic groups like uh, human capital. We knew because we had to have the computers involved, we had to have folks from the digital team. We knew there were some sub-processes already we suspected were issues that we brought in security and we brought in the, the ISSAs for the SARN perspective. Those we knew were some of the expected stakeholders. A lot of the issues we ran into was needing to have people involved from non-NAVAIR organizations because we started touching on stuff that was outside our community. We formed relationships. It was easy to start working and get started. And then each of us had relationships externally. So for me, I worked, like I said, with the Navy Flank Speed team. And so I had been working and trying to get the process improved for quite a while because I had those relationships. Um, I was pushing, I was you know, talking to them often, I was reporting back, and so it helps with the team when you have those relationships with each other and that each teammate has relationships externally that they're able to use in order to get things done. I got involved in the process because I had just come off a rotation with the Navy HR community. I'd been there for a year, and Scott knew that I'd come off that and was looking for some help with one of the barriers they had identified, which was with the cat card appointments, especially at NOC AD. And so he came in and was like, hey, Joe, do you have any points of contact within the My Navy HR community that could help us? And, and luckily I did. So we had gotten in contact with the folks in Millington who were in charge of the program office for the CAC cards. We were able to describe to them what that problem was. It was taking months to get CAC card appointments. And our original analysis was that we needed our own CAC machine to break that barrier. They had explained to us that they had done a utilization study and they did not feel that we needed a new CAC machine and were willing to give us appointments in advance if we knew how many people and what days the, the new hires would need to show up. And once we did that, we didn't have to buy a machine, which was save some money, but we were also able to make appointments for folks in advance. So that all the new hires basically on the Monday that they were hired had an appointment and could go into the CAC office and not have to wait months. So again, building on those relationships and past experiences that we had was was really helpful. We had a lot of trouble as we started getting through this initially because one of the things we initially discovered was the information we needed belonged to somebody else. That's where we needed to go out to outside experts. Like, So we needed Lori to help reach out. We needed Joe to help reach out to these folks across the board to help us identify where these experts were to really help us get insights into the details of how did this stuff really work? 
that was really critical to help us understand that's where being able to get that higher level help, having that buy-in that we had senior leadership at NAVAIR who could go help bring in these people from the higher echelon commands, you know, getting it from OpNav, getting it from DOD was really critical to help break this in terms of understanding what was really going on so we could really go after the root causes and get something done. That is a huge challenge that we had with this is that a lot of these things were out of our control. Sometimes people just give up and they're like, well, it's not my problem. Like I can't do anything about it. And then the project is over. The improvement is over. And so by going outside of our normal chain and being able to get to these other organizations and really pushing and not taking no for an answer. And sometimes we took no for an answer and then went another route so that we could get yes for an answer. I think that those are really important pieces in in how we made this a success. So as you pushed through the Ready on Day One effort, how did being data-driven lead to process improvement or help you determine the best approach to a solution? Documenting those processes and that data flow helped a lot. And what we found out was there were certain areas where we had the data. We didn't worry about whether it was precise and perfect. We were worried about, did we have something that we could start to trend and learn how it applied to the business process? And so we did that in a couple of key areas. One was the NMCI accounts, and one was on the FlankSpeed accounts. And then as we learn the new processes, we tweak the data. So we were always working the data to try to match it up to the process, the business process, and the business rules that were associated with it. So you'd see over time, we changed three times what those metrics should look like based on the changes to the business process or the better understanding we had of those processes. I think a couple other things on the data, for example, with the flank speed process. So we had been looking at the data for months because we were so frustrated that our employees couldn't get accounts right away. So we had used that data to go to PEO Digital to say, look, we haven't had any migrations in the last 40 days. Look at this data. And I think having that data really helped them understand where the issues were and push forward. And I think the other thing about data is that we didn't have to have all of it. So sometimes people get really wrapped around having to have everything before you can get started. And there were just some pieces of data that would have been great to have that we just didn't have. And so we used what we did have and we took that and that's where we kind of focused on and improved the processes that way. We had to get to, what does that process actually look like? And unfortunately, we were dealing with a variety of different processes as we were looking at this. We had folks who were doing certain HCM processes. We had folks doing certain SARN processes. We had folks doing certain security processes. We had folks doing certain NMCI processes. We had folks doing flank speed processes. We had ERP processes out there. None of this was ever really thought through in a total sum. So one of the first things that I started pulling together, and as Joe alluded to, we started sending folks off to help us gather information about it, was what does that total integrated process really look like? So once we could start to do that, we could start to lay that out on a very ugly looking process map, but we were able to start to see where were the pain points. And once you know the pain points, you can start to say, well, now I know where the pain points, let's start talking about what what do we think is driving that pain? And the other thing we did was we focused on uh, measures that the 
customer, in this case new employees, cared about. So how long does it take me to get my flank speed account? How long does it take me to get a computer? We weren't worried about you know those intermediate goals, but what were the ones that customer, in this case the new employees, cared most about? And then we could walk back where we thought we had other issues and we would try to measure that. But having that customer in mind was really helpful. One of the things that was the philosophy early on was, how do you drive it back to day one? Do I need to make something happen the week before? Do I need to make something happen earlier? If that's the process cycle time I'm stuck with, then let's make that process happen faster. How do we need to make that happen sooner? How do we need to make things work through there? And that's where I think really the HCM team stepped up, the SARN team stepped up, the NMCI team stepped up, the security team all stepped up. They said, oh yeah, we can do that the prior week. We can get that stuff brought in. We can push all that stuff, you know, so it's happening before it needs to happen on day one so we don't have to worry about it later. So that was some of the real key things that, that worked in this too. So looking at all of that, Randy, how did you determine focus areas? Which one, where did you, what did you identify and what actions did you take? To get to a computer, you have to have basically your CAT card, you have to have your NMCI account. To get to that valid NMCI account, you had to have certain things in place to go get it. And that became really the things that we started to focus in on. What were the things I had to have? What were the pieces of information that allowed us to go from one step to the other step to allow us to get where that was at? That approach to it was really kind of the mindset that allowed us to really start breaking some differences on this because we could start to say, it's not about how long it takes, it's do I have this information by this point in time, and if I have that information now, I can do certain other actions. And so we really started to try to elevate those points, elevate those things when information was available in a certain period of time, figure out who had the information, figure out how to get it to the right people, We saw a bunch of changes in how we were doing that. We saw our HCM team were awesome. Our onboarding team, there's people getting up at 6 a.m. on the Mondays that we're doing onboarding to go in there and go into the data systems to pull out the information so that we have it sent to the right people. There are a lot of key things that allowed that to happen to be able to make it work. Another key area was computers. So in the past, it was really hard for people to get a computer. They were decentralized. In addition to that, our computers were really old. At the same time, um, they're working on a storefront that Jason Thies has been leading up. It's a one-stop shop where your new hires and everybody else can go in and they can get their computers. There's always a computer ready for them on the day that they come in after they get their accounts. And it's just been such a game changer having that storefront and the people there to help. Yeah, I actually got to visit the IT storefront the other day to get some help with my computer. And it was really impressive. <laughs> it was kind of fun to see. All right, so Joe, how did you measure performance to plan? Hey, so we first we identified the gaps based on the analysis that Randy and, and company had done on the processes. And fortunately or unfortunately, three of them fell within the digital department, needing a computer, needing an NMCI account, and needing a flank speed account. So we talked to some subject matter experts and figured out what data was available that we could use to start to build the plan. And then we started to trend that data over time and start to match it up with the process. There were two things we were looking for. Was the trend going in the right direction or the wrong direction? And was the variance, so 
we looked at things by average was the really long time and the really short time starting to get closer to that average. And then as we identified where there were process improvements and they got implemented, we looked at how that changed the process and how that changed the business rules or how we were gonna measure the outcome. And we continue to do that to where we are today. So focus on the gaps, understand what data you have and look at not only the average, but the variance. In the beginning, um, when we started this project, we did not have very many computers in inventory. And so people were feeling the, I can't get my computer because we just didn't have enough of them to hand out, or we were handing them a very old computer. As that inventory built up, which we did have in a system, I stopped worrying about do they have it on day one and making sure that we were able to track how big the inventory was at all the different sites. A lot of credit needs to be given to Jason Thies for developing the IT storefront and the inventory controls and the procedures he put into place to a start getting a handle of all those little mini inventory pools that were existing everywhere and then getting that set up within knock ad is the first command and then thanks really to uh, shane toll and the other folks in the digital side who made that work so that not only could we have that inventory pool controlled for knock ad pax river but for all the commands in nav air at pax river we were able to work it out so that one pool could handle it all we would worry about how to handle the accounting stuff kind of in the back door it didn't become an upfront issue anymore it was now this is okay we've got an asset we've got an inventory we'll work the back door stuff to make sure that the asset gets reassigned to the right command and that again that's part of that make the stuff work for the people not for the systems. We can make that stuff catch up later. So let's get the stuff in place to do it so they have it now and make everything else kind of subordinate to that. That was really useful. So I, I know you all have mentioned challenges quite a few along the podcast today, so you may be repeating a little bit, but what challenges did you encounter and how did you handle it? And earlier you mentioned having that leadership back backing. When you went to leadership, how were you received? So a couple of the challenges, so one of them was in the hiring process. We had two different hiring processes. One, called Future Mode, made it much easier to get the information we had. We understood that barrier. We just had to find the right person to talk to who could say yes. And, and Scott actually found that person, and they said, you'd like us to do this for all your employees? And Scott said, yes, and they said, okay, we can make that happen. Another example where we've had some challenges is getting some of that data that we want to get to as it related to the CAC card. And we've been working with one of the organizations and we're stuck. We're just having a hard time finding the right person. The other day I asked Mr. Radowski if he would be able to help us with that. He said, absolutely. Joe, just tell me what organization and why you need the information, and I'll be happy to go talk to my peers and see if we can find somebody who can help break down that barrier. So a lot of support at senior leadership levels. Just to add on, one of the big challenges was sometimes figuring out what agency we had to go ask the question to, especially when we started getting to some of these defense systems that were involved. And I think that's where Joe really helped us the most because he was able to start getting us some contacts with the My Navy HR folks and some of the other things to 
really crack that open for us. I really like in working with this group that nobody's afraid to reach out and call somebody for help. Nobody's like, oh, no, I can't call that organization. Everybody was really working together to try and find the right people to call, and nobody had a problem reaching out and escalating where necessary. So looking back at what you've accomplished so far, Joe, what would you say was a key enabler to your success? Hey, Michael, a couple of things. Let's talk about the accomplishments. On average in September, 32 days to get a flank speed account. So think about it, a month. We're down to seven days. So that's a 25-day improvement. And MCI accounts, we went from seven days on average to three days. So cut that in more than in half. So when you think about that from a productivity perspective, right, three weeks were given back to new employees that they didn't have. I'm defining productivity as being able to communicate, collaborate, and coordinate with their supervisor and their programs. So I think the team has done a great job um, with doing that. And now we have an inventory across the command of computers to give people, so that's no longer an issue. We had a clear vision that was easy to understand. Nobody on the team and nobody when we go and talk to them externally was confused about why 30 days to get somebody a flank speed account was not a good thing or that new employees should have a better experience than waiting 30 days to to get the tools they needed to do their job. You've heard throughout the podcast about working across organizations, both within NAVAIR and the commands, so down and in, horizontally, and then up and out to people at the echelon ones or other places where they could actually help us influence the and change the process. No one was afraid to step out of their area. Randy's not an HR guy. He's not a digital guy, but he wasn't afraid to step out of his area. Lori, the same thing. If you talk to anyone who is part of the team, you know, we weren't stuck in a silo of, I only work on these things. And then we were able to clearly measure progress or or not progress, right? We were able to measure the process and we were able to measure the variation in the process. So what was the worst case? What was the best case and what was the average? And that helped us to continue to find where we had problems and needed to go fix them. So I think those were some of the keys to our success. I'll just add one more. I think it's, we also believe in what we were trying to do. So we want you know, NAVAIR to be a world-class organization. We want our new hires to have what they need on the first day, and we want them to stay. So you know, this is an important thing for NAVAIR, and I feel that we all believed in it, and so we really made the effort to make it happen. Absolutely. So what behaviors would you say are necessary to ensure continued success? Hey, we listened first, right? We talked earlier about talking to all the commands and finding out where potential best practices were. In the CAC card example, we thought we knew the answer. Get a CAC machine. Doesn't matter how much it costs, get one in here. And we found out there was another way when we talked to the subject matter experts. So we understood what the problem was before we went and fixed it. We didn't assume we knew all the answers and then went in to to fix it. We were data-driven. We measured what the customer cared about and looked at that over time. And we strengthened partnerships and did collaboration all up and down. And then what we've continued to do is not 
say, hey, we've accomplished a lot, let's stop. We continue to look at that progress to plan. And when we get off plan, we have a business rhythm. We meet every other week and talk about what are the problems we had and how can we fix it to either make it better, because we're not at day one, or if we're turning in the wrong direction to get it back on the right course. To continue your success, you can't just be a one and done. You can't just do it one time and declare success. I am awesomely pleased that the digital group has solved some of the measurement part of this because we did a lot of this fast and furious and rough and ready to get a lot of the improvements in place. But to be able to really make it stick, you have to have that drumbeat of, okay, we're looking at the measures. It's not just for leadership's sake, it's for the people in the process's sake to go look at it. And they're doing things to say it's on track or not on track. We're getting some triggers set up, I think, to address some of the new issues in place. Because as we see, everything's not going to go hunky-dory smoothly forever, but we're putting the things in there. We're continuing the improvements to make sure that as stuff does trigger, we capture what those issues are, we capture what the things are to get that stuff corrected so it doesn't happen repeatedly, doesn't keep going on. So it sounds like this is absolutely a constantly evolving process. So this might be a loaded question, this next one that I have, but if you could kind of summarize, what did you learn or what have you learned along the way? We talk about core values, right, and core behaviors. Those things really did play out, I mean, in this project, getting real, understand what the problem was, listening first. Um, the other thing that we didn't talk about was elevate early, right? The S3 elevated to the S2, and we elevated up to the Echelon 1. As soon as we found out that there was a problem that we couldn't fix, and people were willing to help us, again, because no one could argue with the fact that it should take only one day to get the basic equipment that an employee needs on their first day. So that clear understanding of what we were trying to accomplish, that vision, and then having the data so that they could see that we needed them to be part of the solution. I'd say collaboration, that's kind of you know my area, but the collaboration and working together is so important. As we were talking about earlier, like there are different groups doing all these things that I had no idea about when we started this. And so getting involved and finding those right people that you might have a little bit of overlap with and talking to them, you know, having a conversation, figuring out what they're doing, and then how can you work together to improve things? How did thinking differently help you to drive results? One of the real challenges folks had earlier on as we started talking about this was that they felt they had beaten their heads against the wall a number of times in terms of trying to go after this. Uh, there, you know, when I mentioned early on that we got a bunch of folks together that were the initial stakeholders to find out what we knew about it, what we had tried, what didn't work, what did work, what we had learned to try to baseline where we were at. And there was a lot of concern that we were going to go down and bash our heads against the wall again and not make it anywhere. The thinking differently that I think Get Real Get Better allowed us to do on this was that we had real leadership backing this time. We had a real challenge to get to an outcome by a particular time frame, and that w there was somebody who's going to be held accountable to make that happen. The 
intent of this was, that in terms of thinking differently, was really was, again, it's making sure you understand where you're coming from with knowledge, with data. Don't assume you know what's going on. Start asking questions to make sure you understand why things are happening. And don't accept the answers that you don't think are informed. The thinking differently on this was just, I think, just not accepting the, we can't get there. We know we can get there. People in other organizations can get there. So I think that was part of the thinking differently here was knowing we could get there. I think one of the things with the thinking differently is we had an aggressive goal, right? We didn't make the goal. We didn't get to one day. But the amount of success that the team did get in showing progress in the right direction encouraged leadership to ask for, you know, what can we do to help? If you don't need help, keep moving on it. So they knew it was an aggressive goal. And seeing that we were on track to make significant improvements, and that we understood the business, the process, data involved in it. That was really encouraging to the team and, and helped us you know, continue to, to move on. How does the Ready on Day One effort benefit employees and our organization? I mean, the benefit to employees is pretty straightforward. It's, I show up, I can start working. And the th- last thing you want to have is a barrier of, oh, I don't have this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. So that fundamentally for employees is giving them that best experience to say, hey, here's what you need. You have all the stuff you need to start working and you can start to be effective that first day if you can. So that's what we're trying to drive to there. I also think in a bigger picture from the people perspective that it's good for our employees to have a good experience when they come on board. If they have a bad experience, that's going to stick with them. You know, no matter how much it improves, they're going to always remember how their experience was on the first day, first week. So we do want to make sure that they have the best experience that they can. Perfect. So as we wrap today's podcast, what advice do you have for teams when it comes to fixing problems or improving performance? have a common vision of what good looks like, what that you're trying to fix looks like. And everybody on the team has got to have the same understanding of what that is. That was one of the, what made our projects so easy to get rally the relationships, the customer buying is everyone could relate to it and everyone knew what we were trying to get to. Don't be afraid of aggressive goals, right? As long as you understand the business you're in, you understand where the improvements are and where you have to go, people will be okay if you miss the goal. As long as you are moving in the right direction and you have a plan to get even better. I would say don't be afraid to think differently. Don't be afraid to go outside of your normal role. Don't take no for an answer. I'd say those are a couple things that I would advise. And then one of the things that we talked about earlier was the importance of relationships. So use the relationships that you have both across, up, and out. Be willing to ask leadership for help when you need that type of support to go after it. That's the key advice. It doesn't matter where you are at in this command that if you see something wrong, you should be able to start asking questions to understand why and 
to see if there's something to be done about it. And if there is some barrier that's affecting you, figuring out how to elevate that barrier quickly and responsively so that somebody can deal with it. Helping people understand how it's impacting your operations, helping people understand how it's impacting the warfighter, helping people understand how it's affecting the organization is just, that's the key thing. Making sure you understand why, make sure you understand the impacts, make sure you understand what you need help with to make it work. And I think that's great advice. So I want to thank you all for joining us to tell us how you're changing the game to improve the onboarding process at NAVAIR and get our workforce ready on day one. If you want to hear more examples of teams doing great work across our organization, check out the Airwaves podcast on all your favorite listening apps. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves.